Scott Jackson Show here, Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. We are brought to you by Larry King Law. Pleasure right now to bring in the former Maryland Terrapin, longtime NBA player as well, Tony Massenberg, who played for Lefty Drizel his freshman season with the Terps, joining us via the Ballyhoo's guest line. How you doing uh, there today, Tony? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. Wish it was under better circumstances, but I, I wanted to talk to you about your time with Lefty. Of course, he recruited you to go to Maryland. Uh, was the, You were there with him. What ended up being his final season. Just talk to me through your kid from Sussex, Virginia. You got Lecter Giselle calling on you, trying to recruit you. What was that experience like, and, and was that an easy decision for you to go play for him? Well, first of all, it was a dream come true. So, uh, yes, it was a very easy decision. Um you know, one that I couldn't let them know at the time, but they, you know, they they had me at hello. You know, <laughs> when you talk about when you talk about the University of Maryland, uh, you know, coming in and, and and again, you know, I was a longtime Maryland fan from the first time that I saw Lynn Bias break onto the scene. Um, you know, I was a Maryland fan from that day, and I think that was like my my junior year, going into my junior year, sophomore year, or something like that. But I, you know, my mind was made up. Lynn Bias was my favorite player. Uh, coming up in high school and, and, and until the day he died. And, um, and and he was being coached by the great lefty Giselle, who, you know, I made up my mind in high school, you know, if I'm going to go to college, that's who I want to play for. I want to go to Maryland, and I want to play for uh, lefty Giselle. I want to play, you know, one year. I knew I would only have one year to play with Lynn Byers because of our age difference. So uh, when they came knocking, when they uh, started recruiting me, Coach Sherman Dillard was a – was the first uh, contact I had at the University of Maryland at Five Star Basketball Camp in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. And he said, hey, coach is going to be here in, in a few days. He's going to want to talk to you. And, I, you know, I'm sitting there, you know, trying to play it cool, but on the inside I was jumping up and down, you know, like you were just bursting with excitement. And, um, you know, the rest was history. You know, I, I, you know, I had five visits. Maryland was my third visit. And uh, I canceled the other two once I, you know, took the visit. And, you know, when he met my parents, he won them over. They loved him. And, uh, you know, the decision was an easy one for me. You know, you, you talk about him as a recruiter and obviously a great promoter of the sport, as we know. You know, Midnight Madness was his idea and was always good at building up things. But as a coach, as a tactician during the games, I don't think people know enough about that. What was Lefty like during the games and, you know, in-game adjustments, those kind of things, and obviously getting you guys in the best places that you needed to be on the floor? Well, he was great um, in, in games, and, 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 you know, he was really – good at you know the thing that coach Giselle really did was uh, you know he was a fiery individual that's how he coached that's how he we practiced he was intense uh he demanded toughness from his players you know it's not about always making the right plays but you 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 have to be aggressive and you have to give it your all when you're out there you got to have some fight in you in order to play for a coach like like lefty Giselle and and that was his personality he was he was a fighter he was a guy who who demanded that you go out and, and you play with some toughness, and, and so you know when it came to to game situations, uh, you know he wanted to make sure that you went out there, and then even if you didn't win, you you did not go down without a fight. And so when it came to you know adjustments, he was good at you know making those adjustments on the fly, and um, you know that's part of the reason why he's considered one of the leg- legendary coaches and a cornerstone coach in the ACC. And um, and the reason why, you know, Maryland established the name 
that they did. You know, a lot of that stood on the the, the shoulders of, of Coach Giselle, you know, dating back to those late 70s, early 80s teams that he had that were great teams. And, um, you know, that's all the stuff that I grew up on watching. And, and again, you know, to see them win the ACC uh, under his tutelage in 1983-84 season, um, you know, that was a huge deal. You and I know how big, the, you know, how good the ACC was back then and what a big deal it was for the to be crowned the conference champion. So, um, you know, there are a number of things that that coach accomplished when you talk about being the innovator of Midnight Madness and and taking every program that he uh, that he coached from Davidson before he got to Maryland, took Davidson to the NCAAs, obviously had great success in Maryland, left Maryland and ended up at JMU, took them to the NCAAs, and then moved on to Georgia State where he took them to the NCAAs as well. So legendary coach and uh, his track record um, just really proves who he was. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, that being said, it, it must have been very hard for you and, and a lot of the guys when, you know, things obviously after Len's tragic death, you know, and obviously Lefty uh, ends up having to resign at that point. That must have been very difficult for you guys at that time, knowing what he meant to you. It was. It was extremely difficult. And, um, you know, we, though we understood it and we kind of, you know, foresaw we, we, we could foresee that that was, you know, going to be the end result just on the magnitude of what had happened. We still, in our hearts, heart of hearts, didn't think it was fair. and um, But we understood. And, and so uh, it was a heartfelt loss for us. It was, you know, traumatic for me as a freshman, um, you know, who had played my one year with the, you know, my quote unquote, the, the dream coach for me at my dream university. You know, that was that was my dream to to play at the University of Maryland since I was in high school. So to have all that stuff happen and it result in, in coach, you know, having to leave uh, was devastating, uh, not just to me, but also to my teammates. But, you know, I was the type of guy who, you know, wasn't a quitter, didn't want to, you know, leave and, and not finish what I started. And so I stayed and, and, you know, had to endure some of the things that will follow. But, um, but ultimately, you know, I did remain loyal to the program and, still loyal to this day and, and and no regrets on any of that yeah no doubt um you know it, it for you in, in the guys that uh, you know were brought in there by lefty a new lefty uh, did you still you know after he's gone you know and then and he goes to madison over the years do you guys still keep did you still have the opportunity to keep in touch with him was he still like hey this is still our coach kind of, kind of a feel about him even though it was just that one short year well, he was always my guy uh yeah. just on the, the the fact that he believed in he was the first one to believe in me you know, and, and I, you know, I put a post up when he when he passed that, you know, where I basically said thank you for believing in me and giving me the opportunity to to play, uh, you know, to live out my dream, which was to play at Maryland, you know, and, and to be, you know, and to play under you as a coach. So for me, I did keep in touch with him over the years and, and had, uh, you know, talked to him uh, not since he, you know, really got ill to the point where he, he passed, but um, I didn't get to talk to him in any of 2024 because, um, you know, we're only a couple of months in. So I, I didn't get to talk to him in 2024, but I did talk to him, you know, a couple of times during 2023, which was about average. I would usually talk to him two to three times a year. And, um, and you know, the conversations were, were great. We talked about Maryland and, 
you know, he, he, you know, one thing he told me that kind of touched me, one of the last things he told me, he said, you know, I probably should have played you a little more as a freshman. <laughs> you know, I started, I started eight games as a, as a freshman, but you and I know at that time, freshmen yeah, typically play. did not start right. in place, um, you know, particularly in the ACC at that time. And, and I was fortunate enough to, to start eight games for Maryland and, and, and play in a bunch of other games, um, most of the games actually. And so, um, you know, we laughed and joked about that and as well as, uh, you know, talked about my pro career and talked about you know, uh, the state of Maryland as it is right now and different players in the NBA and, and players from the past. And, and so, I, you know, I, I enjoyed those talks that I had with him. But, um, uh, you know, he's always going to hold a special place in my heart because, you know, again, he was, you know, I got recruited by UVA uh, as well. Um, at that time and believe it or not living in virginia uh coach Giselle reached out to me university of maryland reached out to me before uva did by uv by the time uva came into the picture i was already you know i was i was going to maryland anyway in my mind but the fact that maryland recruited me before uva did really speaks to how on top of things coach Giselle has always been from a from a recruiting standpoint uh, for him getting into the Hall of Fame, I mean, you know how long he had to wait for. It certainly uh, was was longer than he probably should have. How much do you think that meant to him to f- to finally get that moment when he got to the Basketball Hall of Fame in 2018? Well, I know for a fact it meant a lot to him. Um, it meant a it meant a lot to him uh, because it speaks to you know almost correcting a wrong and, and taking as long as it did for him to be recognized as a Hall of Fame coach. He accomplished enough throughout his tenure, you know, as a college coach to to be considered for the Hall of Fame earlier than, than, than what he did. And so for him to actually get that chance, I was actually at his Hall of Fame induction um, and, and took some pictures with him and congratulated him um, on his in, being inducted and, and was there for his Hall of Fame speech and everything else. And uh, and he was classic lefty, you know, at that time. You know, he had the had the crowd in stitches with some of the things that he said, and and uh, and you could tell that he was in his glory, and he really uh, appreciated that moment. And I'm so glad that he got the opportunity uh, to go in before he passed, and and before his health started to decline to where he couldn't travel or potentially couldn't have been there. He he got to to live the entire experience. Um, as a coach being inducted, and, and, and I'm really glad that he got to, to do that before he passed. Yeah, no doubt. We're here with uh, Tony Massenberg. Uh, Going to have to give some time talking about his former coach at Maryland, Lefty Drizel, with us here, Scott Jackson Show, Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. We are brought to you by Larry King Law. You know, uh, it was also funny a couple seasons ago when uh, UCLA finally made it out to Maryland to play the Terps in College Park. As you remember, Lefty famously said he wanted to be the UCLA of the East uh, back in the day. And, uh, you know, those are some of the moments, of course, you just remember uh, of him with all these great quotes that he had over the years. Uh, and it was such a great promoter of the sport as well. Yeah, yeah, he um, he that was a great quote that that still uh, you know resonates to this day. And and you know we can make the case that you know that would have actually happened. Um, he signed one particular player from my home from my hometown down in Southern Virginia, named Moses Malone. Oh yeah, and a lot of people don't know that. Uh, before Moses decided to to go directly from high school to the pros, he actually signed a letter of intent to come to the University of Maryland. 
And had Moses Malone come to Maryland at that time, combined with the team that they already have, and if he'd have just stayed, you know, two years, there's no question that they would have had a dynasty there. And that proclamation that Lefty said that you know he wanted to be the 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 the, the UCLA of the of the East, that would have come true. Um, um, you know, he would have had dominant teams, and and that would have drawn even more interest from the highest ranked recruits in the nation. Um, you know, that would follow Moses Malone. So um, he was very close to making that happen. And, and even without, you know, Moses, you know, fulfilling his, you know, that, that letter of intent to come to Maryland, he still managed to put together some really good teams. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, should be, uh, you know, again, lo- the best part um, of, of this week, the only, you know, positive out of all this here, so many great stories from so many uh, guys like yourself and former players, former coaches uh, about Lefty, because, you know, again, a guy who probably was underrated for, for what he did throughout his career. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's what I believe. And, and let's, you know, we can be honest enough to say that, um, you know, the death of Lynn Bias uh, really impacted uh, the way Lefty was viewed as a yep. coach and, and um, it, it, you know, it took away from his accomplishments uh, in the moment. You know, it, it, you know, it scarred his, his reputation a little bit. And unfortunately, it took time for people to, you know, to kind of get over that and, and understand that, you know, what happened at the University of Maryland was not his fault. Um, you know, he was unaware of, of, you know, things that were, were going on in that regard. And so were we as teammates you know lefty didn't live in the dorms you know with us we did and we still didn't know what was happening um at that time until everything um unfortunately went down uh that that day on june 19th so um you know he ultimately you know paid the price because he was the coach and any coach you know not just lefty but any coach in that particular moment would have suffered the same consequences and the same outcome so uh that being said, that's why I, that's part of the reason why I think it took so long yeah. for him to be recognized. But he ultimately was recognized, and so that in itself says a lot. And and he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, which is why so many of us were were pulling for him and happy for him once that day finally came. Tony Massenburg uh, also has a, a book uh, about his time with Len Bias, Lessons from Lenny, The Journey Be- Beyond a Shooting Star. And um, that, it's a great read. Uh, Tony, appreciate all your insights on the great uh, Hall of Fame coach, Lefty Drizel, and your time with him. And appreciate, appreciate you uh, doing this with me today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Scott. Anytime. All right. Tony Massenburg, going to join us here. Scott Jackson, show Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. We're brought to you by Larry King Law. All right, we are uh, brought to you by Larry King Law. Injured in an accident, call 757-INJURED. 757-I-N-J-U-R-E-D for good friends at Larry King Law. All right, thanks to uh, Tony Massenberg and again, uh, Darren McClinton uh, back in the 3 o'clock hour. If you missed that, all of them are available for you uh, via the podcast page, Priority Auto Sports Radio, 94.1.com. And, of course, all of our uh, social media is presented by Dominion Floor Covering. And uh, today's poll question uh, coming off the All-Star Weekend of the NBA deals with, you know, some of the uh, all-time players uh, right now, guys who have won championships that are on teams that are not exactly looking like title contenders at the moment. Uh, so the question is, which star is more likely to win another NBA title? LeBron, Steph, KD, or Giannis. Right now people are going with the younger Giannis, even though the Bucks have kind of been in a 
funk this season, even with the uh, coaching change, to one Doc Rivers. So 67.1% of you on the Giannis uh, bandwagon. 114 Kevin Durant. Uh, oh, excuse me, 19% Steph Curry, and then 114 Kevin Durant. Nobody's buying into LeBron and the Lakers at 2.5%. And again, you can uh, vote at Jackson Sports at ESPN Radio 941, uh, Dominion Floor Covering, poll question of the day. That's where you can find that. Okay, um, via the text line, let me get caught up on a couple texts here. Um, Elliot in Virginia Beach says, your opinion on outdoor hockey Isles and Rangers brought back some memories. Did you see any of this Isles Rangers? I saw a little bit of it. It was a very entertaining game. First of all, the Islanders got up big, blew it, Rangers won. But the outdoor the outdoor series has been mostly good. Um, you know, I think like you know, they're doing it about right. Like just a game or two a year. It's not something that you should do consistently. It is not the same kind of hockey (laughs) that you play indoor in, in a rink in an arena. So, so from that thing, I think it gets it, it gets a lot of publicity. Of all like the kind of gimmicky things we've done, like remember when they played the basketball game on the aircraft carrier? Yeah, the college basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was kind of a disaster. That yeah, was that, kind of, that that was never going to work. No, <laughs> I don't know why they tried smart. that. Um, and they had a, like I remember at one point they were like, maybe we'll do it out to sea, and they're like, no, this is way too windy, no. so they, they didn't. Do that. Like basketball outside, it sounds cool and it looks cool like every once in a while, but it, it's really. It's not the same. You can't really do it for regular season games. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, you got to be really careful with that too, as far as weather goes yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. It's just not realistic. Yeah, it's not. It's not a great thing. I think the, of all the sports, you could do these gimmicky kind of things. You know, in the baseball game in the cornfields in Iowa, yeah. um, which is kind of weird. Um, I mean, I like Field of Dreams as much as the next guy, even though it was really a hallucinogenic uh, fantasy of Kevin Costner. I mean, this is what we don't really understand about that movie was he was obviously on some type of hallucinogenic drugs. Clearly. To see his, you know, his dead father and not to mention Shoeless Joe Jackson and all these other people just showing up to his farm and playing baseball with him is a little weird. I mean, we're really thinking about it. I mean, there was a lot of hidden meaning in that movie that we didn't realize at the time. Uh Oh, it's such a great father-son story, baseball story, blah, blah. No, it's actually like about a guy who's deeply into drugs and has got a problem and probably needed help. And nobody got it for him because they just, they all bought into it and were all, you know, eating the same kind of weird stuff that he was eating. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I don't know what they were like. Are they magic mushrooms? I have no idea. Whatever was going on on that farm, we didn't. We yeah, didn't, it was, was really a drug farm. Is, yeah. is what we didn't know at the time. When, never got when, the sequel for that. Yeah, I never got the sequel for Field of Dreams, and it's about a drug farm. Anyway, all that being said, yeah, I think the hockey series thing is fun. I mean, I don't think they should be playing, you know, playoff games outdoors or anything like oh, that. No, you know, no, or anything no. crazy. But it's cool to get them into these stadiums sometimes. Now I do know people that have gone to them uh, and have told me, "Well, man, you know, I might as well have stayed home." <laughs> Because <laughs> you can't see a whole yeah, lot. Yeah, you can't possibly and I'm see a lot. Freezing my butt off. Uh, but you know, it is. I think it's a cool thing just to throw it out there every once in a while. And it's always better when it's at like a historically cool stadium. I wouldn't consider MetLife stayed in that place. That's because it's not. Right? Yeah, because it sucks. Um, so I don't. I don't think that's like the greatest venue for it. But there are there have been other ones that have been very successful uh, that they've done it at. But anyway, yeah, it was it was a good game. And more importantly. And, you know, for that area, for those two teams, you know, their fans hate each other. And, they, you know, that was probably pretty awesome. And, hey, they didn't have to play on the turf, so there's that. Exactly. They didn't have to play on the dangerous turf that everybody talks about uh, between the Jets and the Giants. So that is a very, very valid point. Uh, so, anyway, that's that's my two cents on that, Elliot. Hopefully uh, that answered your question. Uh, this must be Chris. Yes, Christopher said, Washington Commanders for agents offseason. Who's the top three free agents 
and who gets tagged by the commanders this offseason. I'm not sure there will be a tag commanders. For I don't Andy. think they'll use the tag either. So I guess if you were saying top three, for me, it'd be Fuller, uh, Cam Curl, and then I don't know, is it a toss-up between Joey... No, I'm just kidding. I was about to say Joey Sly. <laughs> uh, is it like a... I mean, Antonio Gibson or Curtis Samuel, but I don't think they keep either. I don't think there's really a need to keep either. No, I don't think you keep either I one of those I think you could guys. replace either one of them. Uh, I'm not a big, um, you know, I'm not, I don't think they have any, like, must-keep guys in that regard. Like, in terms of, and there's nobody taggable, potentially, I guess, Fuller, if you're really concerned, you can't uh, do better. I do think you have enough depth to, um, you know, just roll the dice on, um, on, on Cam Curl. And, you know, again, let the market dictate what it's going to be for him, then you figure out if it's worth it. Now, here's what we don't know. What... Um, Dan Quinn and his staff think about these players because they're you know in the middle of breaking That's fair. down. I would say Jacoby Brissett is interesting because I, for, I always forget he's a one, he was a one on one year deal because I do think he has value for them no matter which direction they go at quarterback. If they were to keep Hal um, and let him try to be the starter or you know draft somebody or have all three of them battle, and I think you do. There is room for a veteran in the in the mix, right? There's room for a veteran in the mix. The other free agents that uh, are, I don't, Cody Barden, I I could care less. Um, He needs to go. Yeah, I didn't see much of him this year. I would like to think Dan Quinn will do a better job at replenishing linebackers than the previous guy. Um, Oh, I tell you who I I forgot about that was a free agent, Jeremy Reeves. I would actually like, I I would probably want to keep Reeves. Yeah, he's not, I think he'd be in the top And he's not that expensive, right? Like he's not that expensive, but you wouldn't tag him, but he's not an expensive player. I want to keep Reeves. He's been a Pro Bowl special teams guy, and he can fill in when you need him. And Cornelius Lucas, although he'll be probably what thirty three by the time the season starts, I don't know what it would cost to keep him. But I, you know, he's a swing tackle. I would, I would honestly rather have him than Charles Leno at this point. Yeah, for the price, That's fair. for the price. And Charles Leno is under contract, I believe, for one more season. But I think he's also probably a cap casualty guy because you know there's a chance you can draft the tackle that you're going to start. So, yeah, I mean, I, the other guys like Sadiq Charles, Jamison Crowder, you know, I mentioned Sly before, David Mayo, Tyler Larson. Yeah, I mean, nobody. Tyler Larson gets hurt every year, unfortunately. Khalid Hudson, okay. Maybe you could talk me into whatever that would cost. F.A. Obata and David Bata, that couldn't be more confusing. <laughs> um, F.A. Obata was pretty good for a stretch, but I don't know. They don't have a lot of ends, right? Like, that's a big weakness. I mean, now that they... Well, they traded away their starting two ends before the trade deadline. Well, I hear Chase Young is available. <laughs> I did see somebody tell somebody um, hypothesize that the 49ers might tag him. I got a hard time. I that. really hope that that happens because if that happens, yeah. then that means that Adam Peters was the brainchild. Of or they're just operation. doubling down on a mistake. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it was a terrible idea to take a, a flyer on him for a compensatory third, but he did not hit it out of the park by any means i would, I would like l- to think they're a smarter organization than that yeah i would let him um i would let him hit the road and, and then you know find out what his value is and i and i you know somebody might overpay for him but i think more than likely he's probably on one of these you know jadavian clowny show me one year deals uh to get the true you know to get back in the market at a better value i think chase it's more important for chase young to find out what his value is because i think he needs that that kick in the butt or maybe really his father, do. who thinks he was being triple teamed all year. That's part of it, too. All right, 757-687-9494, 757 
Uh, 687-9494 if you want to hit us up via the uh, Ballyhoo's phone line or the uh, text line as well, 757-687-9494. All right. As we know, there is a difference in the haves and the have-nots in the world of college football, and the uh, group of five in the Power Four gap is widening, and it's got some people freaking out a little bit. We'll get to an interesting Yahoo Sports story about it. Coming up on the other side, Scott Jackson, show priority on the Sports Radio 94.1. We are brought to you by Larry King Law. James Witham's got your sports center. All right, we are uh, brought to you by Larry King Law. Injured in an accident, call 757-INJURED, 757-I-N-J-U-R-E-D. Uh, we'll hear from uh, Kieran Donahue at the top there, Old Dominion interim basketball coach. A heartbreaking uh, game on Saturday night for those of you that were at uh, Chartway. You know what I'm talking about. If For those of you that were not, uh, we'll relive it with you. Um want to get to this Bryce Harper uh, situation in Philadelphia uh, here in a sec uh, and some other baseball stuff, including an interesting story uh, in regards to the Washington Nationals today, which I guess it depends who you are, whether you see it as a positive or a negative. Um, Ross Dellinger uh, for Yahoo Sports posted a story earlier this morning about his uh, college football's elite is engulfed in a power struggle. G5 left just trying to survive. We are a farm system, it says. Uh, in here um, they are talking to, to uh, Will Hall who will be the football coach uh, for just a few days he'll attend a morning winter workouts one spring practice lead the Southern Miss football team on the field aside from those instances Hall is a fundraiser on uh, Wednesday in February Hall's the coach starts his day at 7 a.m. observes workouts by 10 a.m. Hall's the fundraiser he's in meetings with donors in their offices at 11 he jumps in the car has to drive 90 minutes to the Mississippi Gulf Coast where more than donor meetings are going to more donor meetings will be held at 1:30 and then at three, uh, his goal is to meet 12 donors a week. Uh, Hall said, "I do zero football anymore. Zero football in my life right now. I do culture and recruiting. Most day is spent all across the southern United States raising money." Uh, he says before pausing, and then he says for NIL. Hall's off-season window is in a window into the life of the Group of Five level, the lower. A resource bottom half of the FBS, where tight budgets and small staffs have coaches pushing aside football for fundraising, gathering donor dollars for name, image, and likeness deals, giving schools the ability to recruit players, and more importantly, at this level, retain them. Um, plenty a group of five coaches are operating in a similar capacity as Hall, but the group of five NIL, NIL fundraising isn't uh, only more uh, adorous, but it's a smaller donor base, fewer school resources. And obviously, it is more urgent. G5 coaches are scrambling to amass enough dollars to ward off Power 5 poachers. Uh, Already at a historical disadvantage from brand and budget perspectives, programs of the Group of Five are now struggling to compete with bigger brothers in compensation packages. Power 5 programs equipped with average uh, five times more NIL cash are outbidding Group of Five schools to take their best players, pillaging rosters of returning all-star conference athletes and uh, transforming uh, the FBS football lower subdivision into a uh, veritable minor league system. Um, Jamie Caldwell, the Liberty coach on record, says, we are a farm system. No matter who you are, you're going to have to uh, try hard to hold on to your top players. That gets taxing. We're uh, taking the approach that if a freshman plays and he does well, we're only going to have him for one more year. So here's what is uh, interesting uh, in this story, and it goes on a lot of different uh, stories, but 
they talk about the thing we were talking about last night. Sean Elliott leaving Georgia State to be the S- South Carolina run game coordinator and tight ends coach, right? Yep. Again, this, some of this is family, and, and that's legit. I was talking to Georgia State guys, so that's that's legit. Uh, but you have had clearly Boston College's head coach Jeff Halfley leaving to take an NFL job. You've had other um, college coaches, you know, jumping in that get the opportunity to take NFL jobs. A weird situation where Chip Kelly leaves as a head coach to become a coordinator at, at Ohio State. But the industry is getting tough, uh, even in the Power Five part of it too. But what's what's weird is this. Well, not weird, but what's frustrating is when you read the story uh, they go on to tell you about how in the Group of Five situation, they're losing players to Power Five schools that already have all their scholarships filled up, and they're bringing them in as walk-ons, but using the NIL money to fill the gap. So you're getting fifty to sixty thousand dollars. Uh, on top of you know to to be the um, you know be the quote walk on because of the last cycle so that's how they are able to get around it and still do it and the the other frustrating thing is some of these guys are just glorified practice players they're not even playing that is very true and not all of them understand that when they're going but it, it is in fact a reality um, that it, you know that you'll do um, uh, Chadwell uh, over at Liberty tells a story about. Off the undefeated season, his top players, defensive tackle, went to Duke, cornerback Oregon State, his receiver LSU. He goes, those guys would be all conference for us. LSU paid for a car and an apartment and like $300,000. What would you do? He's not wrong there. <laughs> yeah. NIL recruiting landscape also cast doubt on the true value of scholarship. Multiple Power 5 coaches tell Yahoo Sports that Power 5 programs – have now hit the NCAA mandated 85 scholarships and are adding players as walk-ons with collectives footing the bill for a scholarship through NIL. The NCAA permits at least 30 walk-ons. So one Power 5 collective director, in fact, acknowledged this trend, telling Yahoo Sports they're often uh, a layer on top of the extra fifty dollars to $60,000 to cover walk-ons, tuition, and books and fees. Uh, they got to make up for what the scholarship covers. I get it. It's smart. Chadwell said, but the NCAA needs to create a rule requiring players to sit out one year if they're not going to be on full academic scholarship. It's a great point. That is a really good idea. I actually think it's a really good idea. I don't know if it'll go anywhere, but it's not a bad idea. And again, this also goes back to, and we're going to have an NIL lawyer on here tomorrow, uh, midwinter who played college basketball. We Mary's become one of the preeminent, preeminent uh, NIL lawyers. What, what's fascinating to me, because remember, the, the idea of name and image likeness was you have value as a player, right? Like, so that's how you earn this money by using your name, your image, or your likeness. So you're telling me guys that are going to these other schools as walk-ons, you're now giving them NIL money. They're not doing commercials for anybody. They're not doing, they're not selling jerseys in the bookstore. They're not doing all these things that supposedly name, image, likeness is supposed to, to be fair for so players aren't being abused by no, oh, they're using them to promote the football team. They don't even know who the hell these guys are. Some of these dudes are literally right, yeah. walk-ons that are practice players that are never going to play at a high level for them, but they, they find value in them. You know, the schools do because they have this unlimited budget or this very much larger budget. It's unlimited, but you know what I mean? Much larger budget, but it just kind of spits in the spirit of what allegedly name and likeness is for protecting guys or, or, or not really protecting them, but actually you know, rewarding them for the ability to help promote and, and do all the things they do. And they're really doing nothing except for being practice players uh, or, you know, part-time players for the school. 
oh, this got twisted really fast, but we kind of yeah. knew this was going to happen, yeah. right? Yeah. The, the second you started paying players, and I don't think I'm legally, I don't want, legally yeah, by the way, yeah. And I don't want to start, you know, I don't want to start that debate up again. Yeah, but yeah. the second you started doing this, it was going to be taken advantage of in some way by the larger schools, and that's exactly what's happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's just it's uh, it's a shame um, that that's what it's come to. And again, guys making bad decisions have been going on forever. You know, people getting you know making transfer moves and regretting it later. That, that's that's nothing new. That's nothing new. Now, what is new is you can do it legally now with a guy who is essentially you know your handler, your street agent, whatever you want to call him, right? Uh, that is also asking for something on the way <laughs> over to the other school. Well, that's also you know, that, that's also a whole other problem that we haven't even begun to solve that, that's happening out there that I don't know how they will uh, police, right? And, and that's that's a tough thing, that they have not done a very good job uh, of policing all these things. And, again, the, co- the college – and I don't think every coach is a whiner excuse maker like – it gets betrayed a lot in the in the college football media. Oh, these guys, they got it made. They're all bitching. Now, there's some dudes that really have to grind and work their tails off, and most of them did to get to where they are, and it's not that easy. But, and you can't watch this stuff and see all the different things that are going on now to, and, and think that it's going to make the sport better. I know nobody cares about that. I know that's a really stupid idea on my part to care about the product itself. But the product itself is not improving – by all this stuff happening, right? Like, yeah, oh no, not at all. And not no. everybody's making big money off of it. I mean, here's the other thing: you got to pay taxes and all this money, right? Like, and there's there's players that think this is generational changing money. It's not at all. It's just get you through the the year money. If if that it is is not something that uh, you know is going to be, I, I want to hear about some great success stories on the with the money at some point. But I'm not sure we're ever going to get a lot of those. Not only that, but think about this for a second you already had players sitting out bowl games because they were going to be draft eligible yeah well now you've got players that are not participating in bowl games because they're entering the portal as well and it's just it's it's just making these bowl games horrible well they just it's awful yeah and it's and that's not going to improve right like especially now that we're separating all right here's the best 16 or 14 teams 12 teams 12 teams excuse me uh and and that's it's they're not going to get better i mean we're not going to improve bowl games by doing this anyway I do think at some point you're going to have to have a separation of, okay, here's your power five, here's what they're playing for, and then a group of five, have, or power four, excuse me, there's not five anymore, group of group of uh, five do their own thing. And and not to say that you wouldn't play these teams, like you still couldn't play Virginia Tech or whoever, and you know that's not still important. Because like one of these coaches brought it up, it was so true, uh, the Toledo athletic director, I'm sorry, brought this up, he said, look, I talk to our fans all the time, and he goes, all they ever want to talk, they don't ever want to talk about, like, remember when we won a MAC title. <laughs> they want to say, hey, remember when we beat, you know, Michigan, Penn State, or Arkansas? Yeah, yeah. I saw somebody on the beach over the weekend had some shirt that, like, had a final score, some regular season winner for Alabama for, like, one of the <laughs> SEC schools. All right. I mean, but that, you know what I mean? Like, do you remember that stuff? Like, people, like, remember how angry some of our fans were for that week and a half where there was the rumor that this Virginia Tech game was going to go away from ODU schedule? Yeah. And when you really think about it, it wouldn't be the dumbest thing in the world to drop Virginia Tech off the schedule in terms of like if you want to like win more games and not have to, you know, be sweating for your life at the last week of the season every year trying to get into a bowl. Like you probably need to lose one of those games against, you know, power five schools, right? Like you shouldn't be playing one of them every year and then also trying to play a very challenging Sunbelt schedule. Makes it very hard. It makes the math 
you know, the margin for error a lot thinner Very every true. season. Yep. And nobody's going to cut you a break because you have a high strength of schedule if you go five and seven. They're going to say, well, hell, he didn't, you didn't make a bowl game again. What the hell is going on here? What's your problem? You know, that's what they're going to say. Not, well, hey, man, we appreciate you playing the hard schedule and giving it your best shot. You know, and they're like, no, get, get to the bowl game or else, you know. Uh huh. Yeah, pretty much. So, anyway. But th- I think we're going to get to that point. And this is one of the things I want to talk to. Um, you know, I don't know if anybody thinks this far ahead. And I, I don't, my guess is no, they don't. They think about what are we going to get now? We're going to have collective bargaining and all this other stuff. And that sounds wonderful for a certain level of schools, but it's going to leave a lot of people um, and a lot of schools uh, in a much different place. And, and it's going to, it's going to hurt the interest level of the overall product too. I, I believe. And I think it's, I think we're already been going there for a while. Nobody wants to admit it, but if you look at TV ratings, if you care about that stuff with, you know, the non-championship games, these other random stupid bowl games, uh, the NCAA basketball, the, the, the regional college basketball, not, it's not wonderful. It's not covered and beloved like it used to be. So it's my three cents. Nobody cares about the product. I get it. All right, coming up, uh, speaking of money, Phillies, get ready to cough over some more for your slugger. We'll get to that coming up. Scott Jackson, Show Priority on Sports Radio 94.1. We are brought to you by Larry King Law. Injured in an accident? Call 757-INJURED, 757-INJURED. All right, hope uh, you're enjoying a three-day week. And if you're doing that, you're probably not listening to us because you're not in your work routine and all that. But if you are, we thank you for being along with us. Uh, we're here till 7 tonight. Kieran Donahue, Old Dominion Interim Coach, coming up on the other side. We'll uh, talk about the weekend that was... Uh, the loss to Georgia State uh, for the Monarchs and ahead a very good App State team at Chartway Arena on Thursday uh, coming up as well. All right, so today I stumbled upon this story. Uh, James's teams are getting into spring training. We mentioned some baseball stories earlier, the Mike Trout one, Anthony Rendon. Um, there's also the story today about Bryce Harper. Did you see the story about Bryce Harper? Oh, yeah. So Bryce Harper, who signed, when he left the Nationals, a 13-year contract with the Philadelphia Phillies, is um, seven years into that contract. Fine. He's been in Philly, it's hard to believe, seven years, seven years ago. Of course, the year after he signed with the Phillies, um, the year he signed with the Phillies, I should say, that, that is the season the Nationals won the World Series um, in 2019. And Bryce Harper is um, now saying that he would like to get a contract extension done with the Phillies and play another seven years and wants to be signed until he's 45 years old. Now, <laughs> a couple things come to mind. Number one, the Phillies don't need to do anything for you because you have this 13-year contract you insisted on having, mm-hmm. which I never understood. I, I, as great as Bryce Harper uh, was at that time and still is as a hitter, I'm like, why would he ever want to do a 13-year contract so – you wouldn't go into free agency until you're 38. Made no sense to me. To me, he always should have done a five-year deal and bet on himself. Because imagine had he done a five-year deal and bet on himself where he would have been now, he would have been one of these guys making you know ungodly amounts of money prior to the Otani deal. Uh-huh. Not to say he didn't do well for himself, 13 years, $330 million or whatever it ended up being, but he says he would like a contract extension um, when his contract is up when he's 38. Seven more years. Um then he'd like to play to his 45. And that, that's swell, and that's a great goal to have, but certainly nothing the Phillies have to move upon or care about, right? I mean, like, who cares? I mean, you know, dude, you signed this stupid 13-year contract. That's on you. Like, at that, and by the way, at that point at 38, they ain't signed it. Nobody's getting a seven-year contract at 38 years old. I'm sorry. 
that's not happening. That that shouldn't happen. Should that would say. be dumb. That would honestly. be really foolish, right, to do that with somebody. And again, just as foolish as I don't know while you're in your prime signing a 13 year contract and not thinking about, you know, what years I want to get into free agency. Maybe I want to hit free agency. I don't know, like when I'm th- before I'm 30 years old again, would have been kind of a smart way to go about it. Uh, you know, knowing that there's going to be a bunch of TV deals, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to change over time. Obviously, the markets are going to change, the numbers are going to change. So, I mean, again, I never will truly understand his thinking why, as good of a player as he is, as talented as he is, as aggressive as he has been, uh, as a ball player, this just seemed to be just, I don't know, kind of the easy way out. Okay, well, I got this amount of money here. You know, he didn't, and here's a guy who didn't want to do any um, deferred money with the Nationals. I don't blame him for that, he didn't have to. Um, you know, there's benefits for doing deferred money. There's nothing wrong with it. But he was young enough where he couldn't think that way. And so be it. But here you are now telling us, you know, when your contract's up in seven years, hey, I would like to do another seven-year contract. Get out of here, bro. <laughs> Forget it. Forget about it. Nobody's doing that for you. Doesn't make any sense for the Phillies to do that or anybody else. But who knows? Maybe they will. And why bring it up now? I guess it's it just like, seems like a really odd time to well, bring this up. Well, he wants to t- just always tell you how much he loves what he's doing. Like, this is his big thing. He used to do this DC, too. Want to have the headband on, tell you how great it was. And, you know, again, I, you know, just trying to always find like a way to connect with the fan, which is beautiful, but it's also always came off to me like, you're trying too damn hard, dude. And, and then in the yeah. end, I always felt like he was trying too hard because I never really believed it. And I was proven correct because he really didn't necessarily want to be there forever. But in Philly, like, hey, man, they bought into you. It's fine. You don't have to do anything else. You've, you've, you've convinced them that you're an Eagles fan now. This is how dumb they are. They bought into that, even though there's millions of pictures of you talking about being a kid growing up as a Cowboys fan. There's even pictures of you with Redskins hats on. But whatever. I mean, you're that kid who grew up was a Duke fan. You're a Cowboy fan. You're a Laker fan. <laughs> you're a Yankee fan, right? Like, you were that kid, you know? You, that's who you are. And now... You know, you're doing the reinvention, you know, part of your life where you're like, no, 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 I'm actually a Phillies fan, you know, now because uh, or an Eagles fan, excuse me, because I I've embedded myself in here against the division rival. Like, say what you want about LeBron James, who's also done a good job of revisiting things over his career. He's always been a Cowboys fan. He hasn't like tried to spin that, that any other direction. He was a Yankees fan when he was in Cleveland, uh, and too much of the chagrin of the the Cleveland fans who booed him. Uh, when he went to the games, the hat on. I mean, so he he stuck with it, right? Like you know, that's your hometown team to stick with it. But in this case, you know, guy who grew up in Vegas, who really is all over the place. So so I guess I understand it. But uh, anyway, I just again, why a thirteen year contract? I'll never know for a guy who was that talented and had that kind of career in front of him. Was already like hitting all the benchmarks. Is going to be an all time player as a way he was you know hitting the baseball. I mean, he was such a good hitter. Remember. He was a catcher in high school. They're like, no way. We're not going to waste you a catch. You cannot play catcher. You'll learn another position. It was the outfield for a while. Now, you know, he played first base this year because the Tommy John surgery with the Phillies. Amazing. He's going to be an amazing player. He's going to put up some silly numbers. But, man, why did you do the 13-year deal? Never, never going to understand that. Didn't make a lot of sense. Well, again, like you said, young. Didn't didn't yeah. think it thin, but again, didn't think yeah, too far ahead. For, right? Like, that's what you have family for, to kind of say, hey, come on, Bryce. You know, this is- I can't imagine his agent was that much older. Well his, well, his agent was, of course, Scott Boris, so he definitely should have should have known better. You'd think sh- Scott Boris would want to hit free agency as many times as possible with these guys. Yeah, you'd think. 
But at that time, I guess it was important for them to be like the $330 million guy or whatever it was at that point. All right, speaking of the Nationals, um, this was kind of a kick in the shorts today. Not that it didn't kind of – it hasn't been kind of mentioned this was going to be the way it was going to go, but principal owner of the Nationals, Mark Lerner, told the Washington Post, the Post, Washington Post easy for me to say, uh, today that his family has determined they are not going to sell the team. Now, they were looking for a specific number that nobody ever hit. Um so they have decided not to sell. They have been running this thing like the Kansas City Royals for a few years here after biting off some bad contracts. They have built back up the farm system. I'll give them that. But they have not exactly um, improved the product, the major league product here for a bunch of seasons. So this is not exactly encouraging news. Now, I guess you could say, well, if my option was Ted Leonsis, who was going to move the Caps and Wizards to Virginia and, uh, you know, hasn't exactly been a steward of excellence with them. Maybe that's a bullet that was dodged, I suppose. And that Mark Rubenstein, who was part of the group that w- might have been with Leonsis, has already moved on to the Orioles. So maybe there's just not options, too. Maybe. You know, and those were the local ownership options. There's been some other out-of-town ownership options for, you know, the learners into the Nats. So maybe that doesn't make sense. I don't know. Uh, I'm just hopeful that with the Rubenstein deal for the Orioles, the Masson deal will get done, won't have to be litigated in law for the rest of our lives, and they can actually get a fair share of what they're owed, and we can find out if this ownership group's ever going to make the team better again, and then determine if, no, this is just a like a less sleazy version of living with Dan Snyder, except with the A champion, with the A, with the a <laughs> World Series, right? Like, And again, they've had, they've had a tough hand um, with the, the crap, but they knew the Masson deal when they bought the team, number one. Number two, COVID after the World Series year was a killer because, yeah, like, you had no yeah. chance to celebrate, run it out. Uh, the Juan Soto play still rubs me the wrong way, even though they got a great haul for him. Still think they could have waited that out a little bit longer. But, again, maybe I'm just being a nitpicky uh, jerk. Um, and the other part of it, of course, is I think Steven Strasburg has to show up to spring training here in the next few days <laughs> because they're not going to let him retire, yeah, even, we'll though, say. even though he can never pitch again uh, because, again, money. Anyway. So, yeah, that wasn't exactly a uh, a great story today. I don't think that's going to be Nats Nation's fired up about it, but I guess it could be worse. All right, Kieran Donnie, you coming up the other side. We're going to get to um, some of the uh, college basketball. Big one tonight for uh, the Hokies, a big opportunity. And uh, Steve Spagnola finally talked about head coaching dreams. We'll get to that all in the final hour. Coming up next, Scott Jackson Show, Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. We are brought to you by Larry King Law. James Witham has your sports center.